and welcome to Introspectional. I'm your host, Leticia, and today we are talking about Black, Indigenous, and POC folks in period drama. I'm super, super excited about this topic, especially since a certain property has recently come out and it is all a buzz literally all over the world. So to help me with this topic, I have some great guests with me today. And if you could share your name and a little bit about yourselves, we can get started. My name is Amanda Ray Prescott. I am a freelance contributor to denofgeek.com. I also am a sometimes cosplayer and historical costumer. I also frequently appear on Doctor Who and period drama television media podcasts as well. Basically, my whole deal is based is figuring out period drama news, figuring out what how people are observing and analyzing these things and also what's going on in terms of how people are perceiving race in period drama and UK television in general because often there's a disconnect between what Americans believe about race and what the UK does. So I do a lot of understanding, hopping back and forth between both spaces in how they're interpreting history and culture and how that translates across the land. Because sometimes things don't translate and that's in a way kind of part of fun of it for me at least is thinking about things way too much that's that's i think the entire fun of the genre yeah <laughs> we think about things we think about manners we think about words we think about it way too much and that's part of the joy ayana tell us about yourself so i am ayana of the vintage guidebook which is my vintage and historical fashion blog I'm kind of an all-around sewing nerd, but I kind of have a focus on historical fashion, which was prompted by my love of all things period adaptation and, and classic literature as well. And with both of those worlds, since they tend to overlap, you know, we have a lot of adaptations based off of classic literature. I have been really interested in the representation of uh, people of color in those spaces. So in costuming spaces for historical fashion and also as well as in media to emphasize the fact that we were always present. And so our presence shouldn't be a shock and it shouldn't be a, a modern take. It's just an accurate one. And I think uh, I spent a lot of my time on social media <laughs> trying to display that by hopefully converting as many people as possible into all of those realms. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, I'm so happy that both of you are joining me today. Can you tell me about like your first memory or kind of what initially got you, you know, interested in period drama? Uh, for me, I don't really remember a first time I've been watching period dramas from as early as I can remember. My mother especially is really into them. So I grew up watching them as a kid and then went on to become an English teacher. So then I watched a lot of them for work and it just kind of became a lifelong hobby for me. I can't remember a time that I have not been watching them and I think I probably won't ever stop. For me, it was because I was a kid in the 90s without cable, so pretty much <laughs> what you watch is PBS or ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and obviously a lot of times PBS had way more exciting material, not just educational-wise, but also Masterpiece Theater, as it was called back then, 
so from there it just kept going and then of course with Downton Abbey and social media I kind of just moved to talking about it on Twitter every week and then tracking everything obsessively and figuring out when are we going to get the show in the U.S. and you know talking to fans on the from the UK on social media because now it's easier because back in the day you didn't, couldn't do that that's the great thing about social media especially in fandom agreed agreed I feel like if you had at any point in time found a, a show in the UK or someplace else where you're like oh my gosh I really like this wait they're on season three I'm on season <laughs> one and I want to be spoiled but I don't and <laughs> all these feelings which it's interesting how that also translates across the pond the other direction where you, you talk to UK fans and like I'm really into this American show and y'all don't give us stuff on time and I'm like <laughs> sorry <laughs> one of my first questions that I have is when people think about period drama they're majorly stuck kind of like in the Victorian Regency era so what do you think draws people to that time period when it comes to romance and historical fantasy? I believe it's a combination. People are drawn in by visuals and seeing the countryside, seeing the massive like mansions and little cute cottages and all those English countryside visuals. Or even if it's not set in England, there's always a escapist element to visuals and costumes and then of course the stories themselves many of them are based on classic novels that people are well familiar with so they don't necessarily need to have a huge understanding of the story to start to hop in and then you also have a lot of the original dramas where it's a lot about family it's about love it's about relationships and war and all these things that are universal even if the characters don't quite look like you on screen they elicit universal emotions in a way that modern drama sometimes can't reach because we humans often desire to escape to a different place or time in a way versus like seeing something that's today and that's kind of what appeals to people the most what do you think Anna? yeah i think it's definitely escapist i think all of us especially as we get more and more into technology as we get more and more into cities as opposed to living in um, the country and, and things like that. At least when we're talking about, you know, the the modern, you know, so-called first world. I hate that term, but to in a nutshell, I think as we get more and more into that, we tend to romanticize the past. Obviously not all aspects and obviously not all of us, but for a lot of reasons, like Amanda said, just green spaces. That's so rare nowadays. Even if you live in a suburb, you have maybe your lawn and a couple of trees on the road, but that's about it. We don't see sprawling moors and meadows and forests anymore. Even if we're talking pure cinematography, look at the 1995 Pride and Prejudice, Game of Thrones. It was just pure cinematography porn. And for good reason. We love seeing that because we don't have it a lot in our uh, modern spaces. Societally, I think there is a strong appeal and particularly for women to be drawn to the mannerisms of the Regency and Victorian periods, especially because there's such a focus on outward appearance of propriety, of chivalry, 
I'm not saying that it was true in history, but I think the way that it is portrayed in period dramas, there is something that appeals to that in a world where, you know, you have catcalling and lots of weird rape jokes. And again, not that those things did not occur in the past. They absolutely did, but you don't see it in Jane Austen's books. You don't see that um, happening to say Jane Eyre. It's not portrayed in the literature and other media of the time. And so of course that does influence our opinion today into thinking that, oh, it didn't exist. But the fact of the matter is, wouldn't it be nice to live in a world where you weren't catcalled? That would be awesome, you know? So I think there is an appeal there of escaping our modern world and sort of looking at a few things that, that may be good and may appeal to us because we just don't have them today. Yeah. That's really interesting. Think about not even necessarily the historical accuracy, but kind of the escapist idea of, mm-hmm. oh, what if I could live in a world where I wasn't catcalled? People always talk about the rules of dating and they're like, I don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what if I could live in a world where everyone followed this like yeah. <laughs> set structure or set is structure that it was there and we could work in it and around it and make fun of it. Step by step guide. Yeah, everyone knew what to do. <laughs> Right. And if you defied it, you're like, oh, well, well, here's the ladder and I'm going off the ladder, but at least the ladder's there just in case. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So how do you feel that people of color fit into that era in real life versus the way we've been taught or shown? I think for people of color, there's even more of an appeal to provide an escape And this is going to sound crazy because you would think, why on earth would any people of color want to escape to the past? But hear me out. I was really, really giving that question some thought. And I think it's because we would like to imagine ourselves as the protagonist of any period adaptation. You know, of course, we would have been treated much more horribly than we are today, but I think we'd like to imagine that we would be Elizabeth Bennet. You know what I mean? Any good adaptation will make you identify with the protagonist. And I think we we want to feel that in a world where we are so often disenfranchised, not empowered, overlooked, ignored, not desired, in particular for, I think, Black women with misogynoir being such a pervasive issue, particularly in media, it's so nice to escape to a world where you can imagine that you are that heroine that everyone's trying to court, that you are that heroine that has a love triangle, that has an inheritance waiting when her uh, parents die. So everything's gonna be okay, it's fine, you have money. To be doted on by your family members, to be sought after at every ball, to wear these gorgeous, gorgeous gowns and have your own servants who of course love you. I think we would absolutely love that. I mean, who wouldn't? But I think in particular for people of color because we feel it so keenly on the opposite end because we don't have that and have never had that. I think we even more so want to feel that we identify with period film protagonists, uh, classic literature protagonists to truly escape our reality, both the uh, true reality in the past and then our current reality in the present. I think it's even more so for us that we want to escape for just an hour and a half. We can pretend that, yeah, we're Elizabeth Bennet and we don't have to deal with that and deal with all the things that we do today. And then with the advent of more 
representation in probably like the early 2000s, it got even better. So you didn't have to pretend you were Elizabeth Bennett. You could pretend that you were Dido Bell Lindsay. It just took it a step further where you felt like, oh, okay, so now I don't even have to pretend to be someone other than I am. There are real uh, people that I can model myself after. She was Black mixed race. She was still an heiress, you know what I mean? So I think it only got better for all of us trying to escape out of our, our current reality. So I, I think there's a particularly strong appeal that I think a lot of filmmakers ignore. I think you have a really strong audience of people of color who are like desperately attracted to, to any kind of adaptation for that reason. I actually agree completely. And I would actually add to this is that a lot of people ignore the fact that a lot of Black women are active in the romance community. There are a lot of authors, there's a lot of amateur authors and professionals and people who just want to read a lot of romance. That's the appeal. It's escaping the misogynoir. It's escaping racism in general and certain forms of misogyny apply to everybody. And those little courting rituals and stuff, it just seems much, much nicer than imagining what we know for the most part of our actual ancestors at some point we were servants and slaves but in those period dramas where slavery and you know racism probably isn't an issue or even colonialism it's just oh we are didos we are like georgiana and sanditon but we are the people with money and not the people who are the servant so it's great <laughs> in that sense and i also believe that what people have been taught about history actually comes a lot from period drama especially if they don't go back and read it so a lot of the older dramas did not have any people of color in them because they were mistakenly believe that they weren't there it, we were there in the history it was a matter of having historians uncover it a lot of archive digging and all that and also to society as a whole reconsidering how they portray history and it has of course, we've had a lot of impact on that in America, but I think in the UK, they're really now starting to accelerate reframing their history to include people of color and, and Black history in particular. That's one of those interesting kind of uncoverings. I was uh, talking to someone about the Madam C.J. Walker period drama that came out and how in the research, some people were like, I never saw any Black people in these nice fancy clothes and Black and white pictures until I saw this. And I'm like, they were there in the 1800s and in 1850s and the Harlem Renaissance and, and, and all of that. I've definitely read some research now that Bridgerton has come out that people are like, you know, that era in London was actually a lot more multicultural than you think it was. It's not what it is today, but it's not like the number of non-white people walking around was zero. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting reframing of the very whitewashed idea of what we have of history. But also kind of going into the harder topics when you're talking about period dramas. I was having this conversation with someone recently about Bridgerton and how while race specifically is really only mentioned in about two scenes in the entire series, there's kind of a question of when you do diversify a piece, do you address those hard things? Do you address colonialism, slavery, genocide? Or do you just push it to the side and just say, okay, this is a multicultural world. You're not going to worry about how they got there. They're just there. So how do you think slavery, genocide, colonialism should be handled in these works? Or should they be dealt with at all? I believe it, it's a matter of what your goal is. 
in storytelling? Are you telling a fantastical story? Are you telling an escapist story? Or are you trying to be a biopic or something based on an event or trying to retell something that actually happened? There's room for both. I don't believe a lot of the discourse around British Indian is why did they not address slavery? But the sources people for British Indian, first of all, was a color blind casting. So all the characters were white in the books by Julia Quinn. Shonda's production company went in and completely changed a whole bunch of people's appearances. And of course, they probably didn't change the plots to reflect that there's going to be issues with the way some characters' plotline goes because now you have a Black or personal color actor in this position that's now portraying a stereotype or something that's more negative toward the community because of the fact that these characters are not white anymore. So that fact, that issue is kind of mute. But yeah, there's room for both. I think the main thing with colorblind casting is it is a useful tool for increasing diversity as long as you also do the homework on making sure there's no unfortunate implications or if you are accidentally portraying stereotypes because you didn't do that homework. It's actually a conversation that's been pretty common in some of these hero dramas, but more so on my other side of fandom and Doctor Who fandom, where they have companions traveling with the doctors and there's things that you would write a white character to do, but like on a personal color, it's not going to hit the same. It's going to turn out to be anywhere from mildly irritating to straight up offensive. Because for example, a black companion was shot through the chest and became a alien and of course, people were like, that's horrible, especially nowadays with BLM, that's re-traumatizing us. And then white fans are like, I don't understand that. But you have to have those same conversations in period drama fandom. It's just a matter of production companies and writers need to kind of, if you're going to pick this method of diversifying things, you have to do the homework to unpack stereotypes. And if you're not producing something that was written by a person of color to begin with, because people of color already do that unpacking work naturally. White people don't do that. So you have to kind of take two extra steps, not just with casting and jobs on the set. You have to do the harder part, unpacking everything and making sure that the optics are not going to offend your audience. Yeah, I think it definitely depends on what kind of uh, film or show they're trying to create. With something like Bridgerton, where they intended to do colorblind casting, and that's a whole separate conversation as to whether or not it was achieved, but it does look like that was their original intention. Shonda Rhimes is always known for doing that, whether she actually has created the show, which notably she did not for Bridgerton. And I think that definitely needs to be acknowledged. She was the executive producer and not much else. And that I think plays a big role in how Bridgerton came off. If you look at some of her other shows where she was involved in the creation process and writing process like Grey's Anatomy, Scandal. For Bridgerton, I think it didn't really need an explanation. We saw plenty of people of color as background extras. We saw plenty of people of color as, you know, minor side characters, you know, a neighbor here and there, a loose acquaintance of some of the main characters, stuff like that. So to then double back and try to give explanations just kind of seems superfluous and a little bit like fan service, like almost as if they were nervous about what are people going to say? Oh, we need an explanation. And it really didn't need one for the kind of world that they had already set up. We've seen it before in 
the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, the one where Whitney Houston produced it, and in The Great by Hulu. We've seen that before, where you have this world where there are just people of color there, and it works without an explanation. You just take it to be, oh, they're different people. They chose actors that they thought best fit the role. Cool. But then I think, yeah, in some dramas where it is more relevant to the plot or they are white spaces, but just with a lot of people of color in them, it does beg the question of, okay, well, how did they come to be here? And I think that should be explained, especially if you're trying to show a little bit more of a raw, realistic world. Like, yeah, if your intention is to be a biopic or showing a period of time for what it truly is, like something like Outlander, Harlots, Sanditon even, shows like that where you have one or two characters of color and that's it. I think you absolutely do need to explain their presence because it's a wonderful opportunity to show, A, the accuracy in that, yes, people of color were in white spaces pretty much since the beginning of humans traveling to one another's lands. And also just in general, because it gives a good backstory to a character. And also it shows the different ways. Everything wasn't always slavery. You know, in the case of Black people in certain spaces, I think that tends to be the blanket explanation, which is why a lot of people have a hard time believing that there were Black people in the Tudor period in England or uh, during the French Revolution. It's like, well, you know, it's it's not time for slavery to be over. So why are they here? And it's like, no, there were lots of reasons why outside of that or you know, for, for other people as well, for Asians, it doesn't always have to be colonialism. There are many reasons why we were around. And I think some shows should address that question. And the ones I mentioned, I think do a good job of it. So I think it depends on what kind of adaptation you're trying to have. If it's going for more realistic, yes, I, I want an explanation. <laughs> but if it's not, I mean, Bridgerton had like corsets on bare skin. I mean, it was obviously not going to be realistic from the get-go. So I feel like, why'd you try to double back and make it realistic later by trying to, no, just, just let us believe it. It's fine. (laughs) I, I agree. I like, I found that interesting too, that I'm like, okay, we're four episodes in and now you're going to talk about this is why black folks are here. It's like, I, I didn't need that. And, and then later, which I feel like you had to know a little bit of history to pick up on this with Will and his scene with Mr. Featherington, where he's like, so your father came here for freedom and here you are being a boxer. And I'm like, oh crap. So like, so now slavery exists in this world? Didn't know that because, you know, for listeners who don't know, in the American Revolution, if certain Black folks fought for the British, they allowed them to keep their freedom afterwards and about 200 of them did end up in England. So... I'm like, if that's Will's backstory, that he comes from essentially a, a, a former American slave, well, now slavery exists in this world, which makes me even sadder. <laughs> One thing that people have talked about when kind of like, oh, we're just gonna accept this is the way it is. And it's great. Surprise, surprise, is of course, Hamilton. Being that people have said that that has had such an influence, what would you say like specifically, how do you think it's influenced period dramas, like how they were produced and who's included and what do you think will like happen in the future? Because Hamilton premiered in 2015, I think. Yeah, so we've had five years kind of post that and it, it continues to have an impact. So how do you think that will increase or evolve over time? 
when I was researching my articles for Virgin, I picked up on something that a lot of people missed is that the actual impact of Hamilton was literally felt almost the next year in pure drama. A crime drama, Grantchester, yep. set in the 1950s, the season four transition between James Norton and Tom Brittany was actually directly inspired by Hamilton. The screenwriter in an interview for PBS was like, hey, I was listening to some interview with Lin-Manuel Miranda and I thought of including civil rights because that's what he did and that's what Daisy Coulomb did with it. And unfortunately half the fandom rioted because they're like, I wanted my white countryside crime drama without black people in it, which is kind of ridiculous because the book had people of color in it in cases, but that's what they wanted on TV too. And well, no, she just stuck it right in there. And that's what it is. I mean, and people did, they screamed about it the whole way through. They're still complaining that uh, it happened, but it were now more than one season away from it. This past season of Grand they had a black director. And I would also say some of the projects that have been optioned since Hamilton in the UK industry, such as The Spanish Princess, I don't think they would have been able to do that 10 years ago and have Lena Oviedo in the show actively as characters representing Catherine Aragon's court and the movie um, The Personal History of David Copperfield. You could totally tell that that was inspired by Hamilton as well. And people like to deny that, but the thing is, audiences before COVID were flocking to theater in London to watch it on stage. So the people who are influencing these decisions are taking it in just as much as Americans are. So that in America, it's a little bit of a slower process because our career dramas are often focused on biopics. While in England, a lot of their things are focused on either retelling these classic stories or original pure drama inspiration. And that's kind of where the difference is. And of course, I don't doubt that Hamilton influenced Bridgerton's everything too, because they took that blind casting journey as well. So it, there is definitely people who want to argue that it didn't have an impact. It definitely did. And even if people don't acknowledge it at first like some of these storylines these hero dramas are clearly because hamilton wanted to talk about a, a hidden history for example poldark season five which half the fandom hated because all of a sudden there's a slavery plot line in the middle of this book now and these people are angry because they're like no that means less time for my ships to you know hook up and have kids and i'm like but it happened during the era and if your main character is a member of parliament discussing these issues Hmm. The romance stuff was probably not his only interest at all. So that's kind of, those kind of plot decision-making wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Hamilton. Of course, it's going to take years for this industry to start shifting more to what we really want, which is own voices works written by Black screenwriters and people of color. But you can already see some of the things they're starting to choose and pick is because they know the audiences want more diversity and that we're being counted as audiences. Because a lot of times, People back then were like, well, people don't watch this. They're just watching whatever, you know, that's not period drama, but clearly we, there's an audience there. They're like, oh, wait, we have to bring productions to them now. I definitely agree. I think Hamilton definitely sparked an awareness of having people of color both behind and in front of the camera. And I think now you almost can't get away with having a purely white period drama. I don't know whether or not it's always done well. <laughs> I think we're sort of in that training wheels period where we're seeing different 
filmmakers, showrunners, et cetera, try different approaches. You know, we have the colorblind casting and then we have the one character and we give them a really great backstory and like they're, they're trying different things. But I think, yeah, exactly. Like Amanda said, I, I don't want to say we wouldn't have had it at all without Hamilton, but it definitely spurred it on. And I think definitely made the powers that be because let's be real, it's about money realize that, oh, okay, if we want this show to do well, we're going to have to do a little bit more than we would have, you know, 10 years, 50 years ago. Yeah, and there's something you said for the realization that you are leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of it. it. It's foolish to leave it behind. But also with the whole, like, people are experimenting with new things and figuring out how to include everyone. And part of it is like, well, actually we were there. You don't, there's actually not much for you to figure out. We, we were there. But to a point that you made, Amanda, I think there is something to be said for if you are doing colorblind casting which is versus color conscious casting, which is something they do try to do in theater, where yes, we're telling the story and you may have people of different cultures and different ethnicities in it. And you're like, okay, I'm not gonna change the story too much. But now the story is being placed on a body, which is not the body that was the original character, which means that the actions can be seen differently. You know, and the, the story that you see will always in some ways relate to what's going on in the moment. You can tell kind of whatever story you want, but there's also the idea if you have to think about what is the body that this story is being told through and how does that affect the implications in the subtext. And as more people of color find themselves drawn to like this genre and are being open to, you know, romance of modern day and in the past, and we're having more, you know, women of color writers make some awesome things that, you know, Courtney Milan and and Melissa Cole, as that section of the fandom grows, how do you think that will influence or change the community, the the sewing community and the cosmic community as a part of this, as well as like the general fandom? As, you know, more of these fans get in, how will that change everything from the Jane Austen Society to costume period dramas that like to do parties in castles? <laughs> I think it's definitely going to make people more aware of, for lack of a better word, for how white their spaces may be. Just like now, you probably can't make a period drama without at least explaining why you have an all-white cast, if you could do it at all. I don't even know if you could do it now and and have people not have a lot of backlash. I think it's going to be the same for in-person spaces. I think you are definitely having some white people who are a lot more aware now of, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't... And then I think also you're going to have a lot more people of color be interested. I think it's very hard to, to have an interest in something where you are not represented at all. It's not impossible, you know, we, we've all been doing it for a while, <laughs> but it's very difficult. And it's also very difficult for your friends to understand like why you would do it. So it's very hard to get other people like you, other people who look like you to do it with you because they're like, why would I wanna do this? <laughs> so I think it definitely is going to open up both the conversation and social circles for a lot more people now. I think it's going to be a great thing. I, I think for all people of color who are kind of who are kind of secretly liking period <laughs> dramas, 
let's be honest. I know there's a lot of you out there. Um, <laughs> I think it's going to be great because you realize, oh, it's not just me. And I think there definitely is that feeling when you're watching it or whatever to feel like this is so great. I love, you know, whatever, Outlander. But no one else I know likes this. You know what I mean? No other Black girls like this. No other Asians like this. No other Hispanics, uh, Latinos like this. It's very easy to feel that way. And one of the great things I think about just the internet at large is that it's made things a lot smaller so you can find those communities. But as they become more inclusive, I think it's great to also see, like not just on screen to see people who look like you, but people who look like you enjoying those things, who are making those dresses, who are wearing them, who are showing showing an interest in in a representation of a lot of eras that we have always been left out of even though historically we were there the narrative has been carefully shaped to exclude us out of it so i feel like it's been such a great thing to have people, I mean, people who just DM me on social media all the time and to say, you know, I've always thought, I don't know, Victorian clothing is so pretty and I just never saw any other Black people wearing them. Thank you just for, for making this and showing that like I could do it too. I think that feeling is going to definitely transcend the, the screen and go into real life where you're going to have spaces becoming more inclusive, it, at least on the surface, you know, we, we all know it's a process to get it to be truly inclusive, but I think you're going to have more people of color joining these organizations. I think you're going to have more people of color interested in cosplay showing up to conventions because there is that feeling of like, oh, I don't want to be, you know, the only one air quotes that that's not a fun feeling. And it's, it's very easy to feel like you are the only one. And I think now this pretty much showed, no, you're not. There are plenty of people who, who are interested, who would love to go to a convention with you. <laughs> and also just who, like not just on screen. I think because that, that's a very important distinction for me. It's one thing to see it on screen and that's great. It's still a good thing, but that's not real. You know what I mean? We don't know celebrities. We don't go to Hollywood parties. If you're just a regular person at home, what you really want is a friend who will sit down and, and make a pole dark dress with you. You know what I mean? Or like, or whatever. <laughs> you want to do all of that and not feel weird. You don't want to have other people say, oh, well, why would you want to do that? Or, you know, my favorite response is particularly as it concerns Black people. Well, everyone was slaves back then, right? And, and that's one thing, even though the accuracy of, of self-made, the, the mini series about Madam C.J. Walker, just by the way, historically not accurate, like in the least. I think the only thing they got right was, yes, she did exist and she did make hair products. The rest was just, <laughs> anyway, but it was so great to see that though, because yeah, we don't often see that depiction of Black people not being slaves, it's usually slavery ends. And in 1955, Rosa Parks wouldn't give up her seat on a bus. You know, we don't see a lot in between. So it's been really great to see that, the the Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Uh, My Rain is Black Bottom. Thank you. Yes, that. I haven't watched it. No spoilers. Don't say anything. <laughs> 
but yeah, it's so great to see that. And I think those depictions are great, but it's also great for real people who have always been interested in those periods and felt alone in doing it or felt like, you know, this is something for white people. I'm interested in it, but I'm an exception. No, you're not. Absolutely not. For my own experience, since I live in New York City, I've been actually able to attend a lot of these PR events for Pure Dramas and Soul COVID. I've won the Downton Abbey fan contest of Tienda Premiere, I think, twice. <gasps> what? So yeah, and then a couple of years they did the standby line. I don't, if I got into my celebrity stories, we'll be here for at least another three hours. But again, I work in journalism in real life. There are years when my first Downton Abbey thing was the season two premiere. This is before people really knew what it was. I was the only Black person there at one point that was pretty much not staffed or, you know, the people from the venue. It was crazy. It, that, I went from that to every year going to different events and stuff. There were more and more and more POC there. And the Lame is the Lame Miz premiere for PBS. That had so many, of course, because David Leo was there and in the cast as well. So that party was like crazy. I was like, there's so many people like me here and I'm not the only one anymore. So, and it's the same thing too with the costume gifts and events. It's like the more that I go, even Dr. Fandom, like at one point I was starting the cons, I was like the only one there. And at some point when I was helping them plan meetings, I was the only one there like on the planning side too. But mm-hmm. as I went on, it these productions are influencing more and more people. And of course, after Hamilton, even at con- the comic book conventions, people are dressed up as whatever these days and they're like, I'm going to participate no matter what I like. And it doesn't have to be pure drama. It could just be anime. It could be all the superheroes, Marvel, DC, whatever. Everybody, are they're now seeing, oh, wait, there are people online who like what I like. And there are people in real life who like what I like. It doesn't have to be the only time I see things is like, you know, on news, which is good. It's just that the fight to get there is sort of difficult. Because on one side you have, there are still, despite all this conversation, there's still a lot of all white productions. Yeah. Like, for example, I'm shocked nobody's come up with this yet. All Creatures Great and Small on PBS. We are getting a slavery-based drama, but that show, except for the Christmas special that has not aired in America yet, there's literally no Black characters at all. Mm. And I'm shocked. I picked up on it, but nobody else has. And again, I'm the like person who looks at all the UK stuff like six months ahead of time. So I'm kind of like, mm, that's that's going to be drama. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of because that's kind of the Downton and Sanderson replacement. That's going to be something PBS and I have to address. Because mm. I'm waiting on y'all to kind of figure that out. They did make a statement about BLM, but of course the TV is going to take a year or two to even catch up because that's what was, all that was filmed pre-pandemic anyway. And of course now during the pandemic, having such an increased racial awareness in all sorts of spaces, it's going to take time. And you were still, we're still going to have that, that, that period of, having these meetup groups and costuming events and conventions fighting things and we're also gonna have to deal with the industry where some parts of the industry are lagging behind in representation and some of these uk production companies they've never had an equivalent bt or tyler perry it doesn't exist this is where the thing comes in too they are way further behind in diversifying your industry in it, they're focused on actors right now but they have an even bigger problem with content creators like right now, in terms of Black British television, there's really only three screenwriters I've ever had stuff shown right now. That's Noel Clark, Michaela Cole, and I'm going to count Steve McQueen with small acts, and that's about it. Because even some of the productions based on like Black novels end up having white 
people write writing scripts and stuff that's interesting one of the things that you know people talk about is the black british actors coming to america you know and some people have complained about that but it's also like dude there's no jobs in the uk so so, so it's like unless you want to be crime like victim or crime suspect number 35 in a lot of cases that's all you're getting it, and uh, yeah and of course in the in same thing to a theater like you're there's only there's only so many roles for people of color and that's why so many people are here and especially too with the biopics like they are not small acts of for first black biopic series of where playing their own heroes then most of the times the only roles left for them are american figures i know that sandra o was talking about in killing eve where she's like yeah i'm the lead but i am the only person of color period around in front of the camera behind the camera it's just me and it's this really interesting dichotomy of Sandra O talking about even getting that role where she's like, I got the script and didn't think, I was like, where's my part? Where's like the best friend psychic part? And they're like, no, we want you for the lead. And that being a shocker to her because that's been her experience in American television. So it's like, oh, wow, this production company from another country is giving you a chance to be the lead that American television wouldn't necessarily let you have. However, once you get there, you are the only person of color within like a 10 mile radius. I don't know if that's double-edged sword or just life is complicated or what it, what it that is, but there seems to be this interesting Rubik's cube of like three steps forward, two steps back. (laughs) Yep. I've enjoyed this time with y'all. We get to enjoy each other and talk about these things. <laughs> and I'm sorry for throwing a bomb in the middle of the uh, No, no, no. This, this, this show is for, it's for those bombs. It's like the, the, the bombs is totally yeah. in. We're good with the bombs. So just to uh, wrap up, if y'all could just let the listeners know where they can find you, your social medias, and any of uh, your projects that you have coming up. Oh, well, I am the Vintage Guidebook everywhere on social media. Probably, I'm probably most active on Instagram, sometimes Twitter, but I, I have an account with almost everything at this point, as as well as the blog. Everything is just Vintage Guidebook. If you search that, you'll, you'll find me eventually. My projects right now, I still have a couple of Bridgerton articles to file. I have put, of course, as a freelancer, you have to put in your pitches and wait for things. There's a couple things I'm tracking and waiting for with Jenna Geek. So I'm going to have more articles there, hopefully. And my Twitter page, at Amanda R. Prescott, is probably where I'm most active. I'm hoping to set up a WordPress account. That's where I'm at. And that's my goal for next year is have that WordPress up and running and have things to discuss. So that's me. Awesome. So yes, everyone, please find Amanda's Deep Dives. We're just going to coin that right now. Um, <laughs> and Vinci's Guidebook. These are both amazing resources. Please follow both of these incredible women. And please join us next time on Introspectional. Everyone have a great day.